Hello and welcome again to our home at home service. It's so good to have you join us and to be able to get together like this as a community, celebrating the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the communion that they're experiencing. We are joining in on that. And um, it's so good to have such a wonderful welcome and our worship team knitting this all together with this expression of worship and I'm so excited you know that we have these moments that are intimate and that genuinely form connections between each of us and so hopefully today again you're really going to settle in and make this a time where we can be vulnerable and encourage one another so that we can be stronger in our faith. So let's take this journey as we continue. We've been talking recently about the weapons of our warfare and we're gonna continue that today with a, a detailed insight into some of the aspects as to how a God who genuinely loves us but is so intentional has already gone ahead and in his plans has prepared and set a path for us that ultimately leads us always to victory. And it's important to understand that, that we are fighting from victory. I'll say it again, we are fighting from victory. And once we understand that, it means that we have to walk by faith. And this faith is a journey that's led by the Holy Spirit, but also is reassuring because he's telling us that we have weapons, weapons of our warfare that are not fleshly. They are unique to the kingdom. They are special devices that are devised by the Holy Spirit and by the power of God himself that is counterintuitive to the world. And so they don't often understand that we fight with love, we fight with peace, we fight with joy, we use so many kingdom tools that allows us to identify that what sonship means is to have access to the artillery and the arsenal of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so I'm going to be reading a passage today from Exodus, and I think it exemplifies such a brilliant uh, example as to how our God works for us. And the, the Old Testament very much is a foreshadowing of what we see in the New. And so we're going to look right now at Exodus 17. We're reading from the message version. I think it just gives a great narrative. And verse 1, it says, Directed by God, the whole company of Israel moved on by stages from the wilderness of sin. So this is the children of Israel that come out of Egypt, been set free from the bondage and slavery that they were in. And they are now on a journey to the promised land. And we meet them on this journey. And so they are in the wilderness, a company of Israel, of Israel moved by stages from the wilderness of sin. They set camp at Raphidim. That's the name of the place where they were. And there was a certain, um, or there wasn't actually, a drop of water for the people to drink. So they're here, they're journeying in the wilderness, and they are thirsty. The people took Moses to task. Give us water to drink. You know, you ever had that child who says, oh, I'm thirsty. Here we've got these Israelites who are doing this to Moses. Give us water to drink. But Moses said, why pester me? Why are you testing God? But the people were thirsty for water there. They complained again to Moses. Why did you take us from Egypt 
and drag us out here with our children and animals to die of thirst. So they're really laying it on thick right now. And so Moses cried out in prayer to God, always a great solution. Whenever your back's against the wall, you're under pressure, crying out to God is a great move to make. And he says, what can I do with these people? Any minute now, they'll kill me because it's expressing their desperation. We've left slavery, but now we're here, we're gonna die of thirst, and at least we had water when we were in slavery. Verse five and six, God says to Moses, go on ahead, out ahead of the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take the staff you use to strike the Nile and go. I'm going to be present before there on the rock of Horeb. You are to strike the rock. Water will gush out of it and the people will drink. So we've got a solution here that God is giving to Moses. But fascinating enough, it's not an ordinary solution. He's asking Moses to use something he's used before, which is the rod, when, and it's a symbol of God's presence and his activity and his workings. And so he's saying, use part of what you're already familiar with. But this time, I want you to strike a rock. And water's going to gush out of that rock, and the people are going to drink. So, of course, Moses is in touch and knows God enough that whatever he says to do, he can do, and therefore, with confidence and obedience, he follows. Moses did what he said, this is verse six and seven, with the elders of Israel right there watching. So they've got a witness now as to what God is doing. He named the place Massa, or meaning testing place. So you can see here, Moses is marking and saying, this is a testing place, a position that I am in. These people are trying me, they're getting on my last nerves. And then calls it also Meribah, which is quarreling. So this is the testing place with the, 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 because of the quarreling of these people. And because of the quarreling of these Israelites and because of their testing of God, when they said, is God here with us or not? And so what then happens as Moses is now fulfilling what God is saying, Amalek came and fought against Israel at Raphidim. So we're seeing here, all of a sudden, Water is going to be flowing. God is going to be supplying the answer to a need and a blessing is here. And what manifests at the same time as a blessing? It's your enemies. And the Amalek are the descendants of Esau. And what we've explained before, what we've said is that Esau, his crime was that he did not value his birthright. In other words, his inheritance. And what we're seeing here is that Israel, uh, Esau sold his inheritance for some food. And what's interesting here is we're seeing Amalek, who are the descendants of 
an individual whose his, uh, issue was holding on to inheritance, and they are now going after what God is providing for his people as their inheritance of the miraculous expressions of his nature. Amalek came out and they're fighting against Israel at Raphidim. Moses then orders Joshua, select some men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will take my stand on the top of the hill holding God's staff. Verse 10 and 13, Joshua did what Moses ordered in order to fight Amalek. So they've gone up literally to uh, a high place here um, and they're going to be fighting Amalek. And we're seeing here that it says Joshua did what Moses ordered in order to fight Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It turned out that whatever Moses raised his hands or whenever he raised his hands, Israel was winning. But Moses' hands got tired. And so they got a stone and set it under him, obviously to hold his hands up, because of course, as long as they're up, he's going to continue to win. And he sat on it and Aaron and her held up his hands, one on each side. So his hands remained steady until uh, the sun went down. Joshua defeated Amalek and his armies in battle. He continues to say, God says to Moses then, write this as a reminder to Joshua to keep it before him because I most certainly are going to wipe out the very memory of Amalek, who of course is trying to steal the birthright or the inheritance of Israel. And he says, Amalek of the face of the earth, he's going to wipe him out. And Moses built an altar and named it God my banner. And he said, and salute God rule. And God at war with Amalek was always now on the cards. So we see here that Moses now has fulfilled what I really want to express is a forerunner of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, here we've got an individual in crisis. We've got a whole group who are now desperately crying out and he's under a siege of desperate individuals. And Moses, we see now, is told by God to connect with the rock. Now, the rock is a symbol, and I will say this now, of Jesus Christ himself. David is very adamant through the Psalms. He calls God his rock, the rock of his salvation. And he's so adamant that countless times you hear him referring to God as our rock and, and his rock. And so here, Moses now called or de declared and, and by God, to, instructed to strike the rock and out of the rock will flow water. And we hear this represents this rivers of living water that as the rock is now dwelling within us, Jesus Christ himself, the Bible tells us through the Holy Spirit that we too will flow out of our bellies with rivers of living water. And so here we see that these are prototypes. These are typologies of God, Jesus Christ himself, being the rock out of which our thirst is quenched, out of which we can see a, a, a difficult situation saved and abated through the power of our God. So Moses here strikes the rock, but also we see that in the middle of the battle, that Moses has been placed to sit upon a rock. 
So we've got here, this is now appealing and drawing from the rock of our salvation, but also in the middle of a battle, ensuring that you are seated on the solid rock. And in this moment is where we then make the expressions of our worship that God, through the power of the angelic host, goes to fight on our behalf. And I want us to really understand what's going on here, that you can read this and you can focus on the murmuring. You can read this and focus in on all certain aspects, but not understand the power of the symbolism that in every crisis and trial, you may find that there is a blessing that is on the way. And the enemy's plan is always to intercept your inheritance, to intercept the blessing on the way. But you have to now make sure that you are connected to the rock, which is Jesus Christ. You've got to also make sure that in the process you are seated on the rock, a solid foundation, and that the expression of what you do is to have hands raised, and it allows you to fall into the form of what the kingdom expresses as kingdom warfare. Because while Moses was doing this, what was manifesting through Joshua was the winning of a battle. I want you to understand that this now, because we are dealing not with physical but spiritual things, because this is now the, the era of the Holy Spirit. We had the first era of the Father, we had that of the Son, and this is a whole other theological construct here. But we are in the, the era of the Holy Spirit, where things that we do in the natural manifest and impact the spiritual vice versa. And so we're seeing here that when we, if now putting it into our context, when we are raising our hands, when we are seated on the rock, that what we are doing physically has a spiritual manifestation as battles are being fought by angelic beings all around us. And look what happens here. Moses maintains hands raised and the battle is won. Can I take us to a place? 1 Corinthians 10. Look at what it says here, verse 3. They all ate, it says here, the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, this is Paul talking about what happened to them in the wilderness. Look at this again. He says, they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. This is Christ, the rock, and that rock is Christ. But it goes on to explain to us that this whole principle of what Moses was doing was again a prototype of the ecclesiac. Who is the ecclesia? The ecclesia was an assembly of competent citizens of a region who met at regular intervals to govern. This was done by a verbal yes or no or upraised hands. Hello, can you see that? What was Moses doing? Hands were upraised. It was, it was an indication as to how the outcome was going to be. And their fear of influence included, A, decisions on suggested laws and financial decisions on new laws or any new laws. Also, appointments to official positions. 
Also here, both internal and external policies in the region, including contracts, treaties, war and peace and financial matters. This is what the Ecclesia has responsibility to rule over, to make decisions over. They also, the Ecclesia, would rule on cases of treason. The Ecclesia ruled on societal and cultural matters for its geographical location or territory. So again, they were assigned to a territory. I wonder if you understand that we all are assigned to a territory and that our responsibility as the Ecclesia is to conduct. We spoke earlier in the previous message about the binding and loosing as we do so, the God of angel armies then activates the angelic host to move on our behalf. And the ecclesia chose by, this is how they made those decisions, by upraised hands who would sit at the apocrypha, the high court of Athens, Okay, the Arapakos, okay, the High Court of Athens, similar to our Supreme Court. So you and I are the Ecclesia. We are here called by God to be set in a position where we have to make rulings and decisions. And we know straight away that then our expressions of hand, our expressions of worship, declare and have an impact on the outcome of a blessing, the outcome of a binding and loosing. So don't just sit around and appear, appear insignificant. Don't just sit around and be lifeless. Use what you have. The Bible tells us that God, in his word, says he teaches our hands to war. I wonder if perhaps you can lift your hands right now in expression of thanking God for a victory that you've already won or thanking God for a victory that is to come. Whatever we do, the Bible says we are able to war as Moses did with hands upraised and worship and honour and praise to God. You see, remember that our God has loved us so much that the length he has gone to, to allow us through Christ that was made lower than the angels, that after he sacrificed once and for all, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He did it so he could take us with him. So we now are in a supreme position. As the ecclesia, you are seated in positions of authority. You might feel that you're in an insignificant place at work. But can I tell you that in the kingdom, no matter where you are, you are seated with God in heavenly places. Look at what it says here, Ephesians 2 verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm hoping by now you're getting this. We've journeyed through this. We've said this a number of times. I'm hoping you're grasping this, that we are not ordinary, that when we are seated, our minds, our affections set on things above, it allows us to be seated in those and present. That's the point. Seated and present. Because you can be seated somewhere and not be present. I wonder right now, if the enemy is trying to distract you, but your responsibility as an ecclesia member 
is to be seated and, and also invested to what rulings and decision, to what warfare and what outcomes are going to happen today and in the immediate future. Ephesians 1 verse 17 to 23. We are going to read, look at this, that the God of our salvation, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. This is a prayer and revelation and knowledge of him. This is what was being prayed by Paul, that God would give us the knowledge and wisdom and the revelation of him. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities, not some, all principalities, hallelujah, and put all things under our feet. Where were the Raphaelites? Where were the, uh, uh, um, sorry, the, the Amalekites? Where, were, where was Amalek? They were beneath Moses' feet, because Moses was elevated and, and also then sat on a rock. Can you hear the similarities here? That this was a typology, that God has seated you as an ecclesia individual to make a ruling in the heavenly places. And he says, and he puts all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things, the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Our God is omniscient. He's all knowing there is not a scientific expression, even the ones that are coming out today, hello AI, that God is not already ahead of. I wonder if we can understand and grasp that, that our responsibility is not to be afraid, it's not to get uh, horrified or be alarmed. Our responsibility is to step into our seat and understand that we were bought with a price by a God who loves us so much and says, I have invested in you to take dominion on earth, that whatever you bind on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And in so doing, I have sat you above all principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And I have seated you above all of that in heavenly places, in a position where with your hands upraised and your minds and hearts set on the King of Kings and the position as to who you are in him as a son. And with authority, we declare together because we multiply the authority and power and the agreement. And so in doing so, we are able to watch our Amalekites be defeated. We are so able to watch those who are coming against us, that emotion, that attack of the enemy, that naysayer, that criticism, that sickness, that illness, whatever it is, that God works it for our good. You see, Joshua was able to finish the battle because Moses' hands were held up and the sun did not go down until the battle is won. Can I tell you that God is not going to stop halfway? If you can stay the course, if you can hold the position, that as an ecclesia member, that is somebody who knows a God who through love has come down and given his 
his life to redeem you so you can be seated in heavenly places above all principalities and powers, that today the victory is yours. No matter what it looks like, you've won. No matter what it sounds like, you've won. And we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Watch what God will do if you can keep those hands up raised. In other words, keep the praise going, keep the declaration going, because the enemy wants you to moan and complain. But if it wasn't for a Moses, those individuals would have died in the wilderness of thirst because God needed someone who was prepared to connect with the rock. You see, the children of Israel has said to Moses, we don't want to go up to the mountain, the rock of God. You go up and bring the information to us. So there was a separation. But God is saying that you and I are one with him. He makes us one. And if we can be one, we can see our county change. We can see our families change. We can see our husbands and our wives transformed into anointed, gifted men and women of God. Our children, great in the land as God has declared, that we will be blessed in the city and in the field. That the job that they told you no will all of a sudden turn around and they say yes. Why? Because our hands are upraised. We're seated in heavenly places with our connection to the rock of God, that the, the flowing water of the Spirit of God is flowing out of us, that in our bellies we are overwhelmingly flowing and we are wells of salvation. And we're seeing that the power of the blood of Christ has given us the authority that what we declare will happen. Be encouraged today and know that the battle is not ours, but it is the Lord's. May you be encouraged. May you be inspired. May you know that no matter what, we win. May God bless you today. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I wonder if you can keep your mind set on things above, with your hands upraised, believe that it's already done. Whatever it is you're going through right now, whatever battle you're fighting, keep the hands upraised. Find a brother or a sister, another ecclesia member that can help you keep your hands upraised and watch what God is going to do for you. The battle is not yours, but it is God's. God bless you.